What a wonderful song. What a wonderful reminder that we have a God that is always working. And even when we, we can't see what he is doing, uh, we know he's there. We know he's always working his will out. And the proper response to the work that Jesus is doing is the worship of Jesus. And, and what a great reminder. I'm thankful to be here uh, this evening for our service and thankful for Pastor. And again, as Mike mentioned, continue to pray for him and others on our staff. I want you to take your Bibles and start out in the book of Luke, chapter number one. Uh, it's Christmas season now. I, I love Christmas time. Uh, we've celebrated Thanksgiving. We've had our turkey. We still have our leftovers. And now we get to look forward to the greatest holiday in the history of the world, and that's Christmas. Besides Easter, Easter and Christmas the two bookends of our faith, and it's so exciting uh, to be part of the Christmas season. And I love Christmas, I love the movies, I love the lights, I love the music, I love the cookies. Uh, Christmas is my favorite time of year. But you know, this Christmas is going to be a little different. This Christmas, the things that we had planned maybe from the beginning of the year have rapidly changed. In fact, if there's one thing that our year can be characterized as, it's a year of rapid change. Uh, the plans we made in January were changed by the time March came. Uh, the plans we started trying to make in the spring were drastically altered by the time we got to the summer. In the summer, maybe we thought we could make a few plans, and by fall, those plans were done. And now we get to fall and winter, and everything we've been planning, let's be honest, from day to day is rapidly changing. Science is changing. The way we've done school has changed. The way, really, we go about our normal lives out in the world has changed. So what do you do? What do you do when God changes the plan? Well, you know, as we look in our passage here in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be in a few different passages tonight, we've got to understand that this is not the first Christmas season that had a lot of changes to it. In fact, 2,000 years ago, there was another Christmas that was filled with radical change. And from the lives of these really familiar people, as we take a journey, getting kind of a bird's eye view of the Christmas narrative, as we take a look at each of these individuals, we're going to see three ways we can handle life when God changes your plan. And I want to see here, first of all, in Luke chapter number one, I want you to look at verse number five. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years." As we take a look at this couple, when God changes the plan, the first thing we need to do is cling to God's word. Zacharias and Elizabeth were a ministry couple. Uh, Zacharias was a priest, and in fact, at this time, he had been chosen to burn incense in the temple, a job that he would only be allowed to do once in his lifetime. Uh, he, he is going to go to the temple, and the, the Bible describes this couple as, as a godly couple, a couple that when it came to the ordinances, all the laws of God, they were blameless. Now, we know because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God that Zacharias and Elizabeth weren't perfect, and yet there is nothing negative at this point that God can really say about them. You see, their ministry life and their personal life matched up. 
How they were in society was how they were at home, and they were genuinely godly people. And something that the Bible highlights about them is that they had no child. One of the greatest, uh, one of the biggest prayer requests in Scripture is that of a child. The Bible calls children a heritage or a gift from the Lord. And no doubt Elizabeth and Zacharias for many years prayed for a child. In fact, back in Bible days, if you had no child, uh, you were heavily looked down upon. Most people viewed it as you being in disfavor with the Lord. Now, we know scripturally that is not the case every single time, but that was kind of the cultural mindset. And Zacharias and Elizabeth at this time, the Bible says, were well stricken in age. So they were past childbearing and no doubt really past praying for a child frequently. But Zacharias goes into the temple, and this was routine. This was something he would do for about two weeks, and he would go in there to burn his incense. He knew the rituals. He knew everything he had to do to go in there. This was kind of a routine now for him. And he goes in, and this is when God decides to radically change his plan. Zacharias is in there burning incense, and the Bible teaches us that an angel appears to Zacharias. It says in verse 13, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now think about it. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're at about retirement age. They're maybe ready to end their major working time, and all of a sudden God says, Hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's not going to be any ordinary child. In fact, he is going to be the forerunner of Christ. Zacharias, you remember that God said in in the Old Testament that there would come an Elijah that would prepare the people, and that Elijah is going to be John, and he's also going to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God from the time he's in the womb. You know, Zacharias, to be honest, at first hesitates. He doubts it, and the angel, if you know the, the account, the angel says, Zacharias, here's a sign for you. You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months until all of this comes to pass. Now, that would be pretty rough. I'm sure Elizabeth wasn't too brokenhearted over that. But Zacharias and Elizabeth had their plans radically changed. But, you know, there's another couple. And in Luke chapter 1, look at verse number 26. The Bible says, and in the sixth month, that's the sixth month in which Elizabeth was was carrying John, so she's six months along, it says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. This angel appears, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Now, Mary is just a young teenager at this time. She's roughly between the ages of 14 to 16. And Mary is espoused to Joseph. Joseph would have been uh, quite a bit older, and culturally, that was the norm. That's kind of just how it worked back in this time, especially in Nazareth. And she's espoused, which means that her and Joseph are legally married, but physically and ceremonially, they have not come together yet. And so they're living separately, waiting for that ceremony where they can be completely husband and wife. Now I want you to think about this. Think about this young uh, bride-to-be. She has been waiting for this day. She has been waiting for this ceremony to happen, this time where she can finally be completely married to the man that God has chosen for her. 
And an angel appears to her and says, oh, by the way, I understand you've got some wedding plans, but you might want to put some, don't put that on hold, but I'm just going to let you know you're going to have a child as well. And you're going to have a child, and it's not going to be any ordinary child. No, it's actually going to be the savior of the world that you all have been waiting for for thousands of years. And then picture Joseph. The Bible teaches us that Joseph, really in Matthew chapter 1, that he was a just man, that he was a man that followed scripture. And imagine Joseph. All this time he's been waiting for the time where he could get married to his bride. He has been working hard. He has been making a home. And he has, been, uh, he has remained pure waiting for this moment. I mean, there's some excitement building up. And imagine he's ready. The time is coming. And your fiancé comes back after a three-month visit with her cousin and says, oh, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. And uh, it's not any man's. It's actually God's child. It's the Messiah. Surprise. I mean, think about his plans and how they had changed. You see, when God goes to these, he radically changes the plan. I don't think Mary and Joseph, this was even on their radar for their life plan together. But as you look at these couples, and if you were to go and read in, in Luke chapter number one, you would see the words of Elizabeth and the words of Zacharias, and you read the Magnificat of Mary, and you go to Matthew chapter one, you see how Joseph responds to the angel telling him, hey, it's okay to get married. Her, her son is the son of God. And you find that these couples, when God had changed the plan, clung to the promises of God. You know, in times like this, when everything is changing rapidly, it's time that we as God's people decided to get into God's word in a deeper way. Every year we make plans to maybe read through the Bible in a year, or for some maybe to start reading more regularly, and we want to be in church, and we want to be in church Sunday morning, and maybe we're going to move to, hey, let's go Sunday morning, Sunday night. I mean, even though everything's online right now, but when we get back to our routine, and maybe it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, hey, let's throw in Wednesday night, and we're all growing in different areas. But when you think about it, that is really just the beginning. That's the surface. But we ought to, as God's desire is for us, to get into his word on a daily basis and not just do a, a cursory reading. Hey, let's just kind of glance through a proverb or a psalm. Though Those are great ways to start. Those are definitely necessary. But no, let us get deep into God's word to know what it says so we know how to cling to it when everything changes. You see, Mary and Joseph and Zacharias and Elizabeth they had to take some time to go back to all they had learned from the word of God to trust him enough to let him change their plan. And as they begin to even prophesy and praise the Lord for how, you got to understand the stigma that these people would be under, especially Mary and Joseph. I mean, to the outside world, this did not look good. There weren't a whole lot of people that would have believed that she was going to be, uh, have an immaculate conception. And yet, they would cling to the word of God. How's your relationship with God's word lately? As God still continues to somewhat slow down our schedule in different ways, are you getting deeper and more devoted to the word of God? 
Are you taking time to learn how can I study God's word? Hey, how can I look at the culture surrounding God's word? How can I get into some of these words that I'm not sure what they mean? What's amazing about our day and age is that we have so many resources for free at our fingertips to be able to study the words of God. And I challenge each and every one of us to take time to start getting into God's word. You know, as you think about Christmas time, it's that last major holiday of the year. Yeah, there's New Year's Eve, but again, we're looking toward the new year, so I don't really count that. Christmas is that last huge holiday, and yet, when you really get into the narrative of Christmas, it's just the beginning of God fulfilling all of the promises that he made in the Old Testament. And just like Christmas, the narrative is a beginning of God's fulfillment. Let it be a beginning of a renewed relationship with the word of God. A renewed devotion, a renewed uh, passion, a renewed dedication to knowing God's word as much as possible. We may never be this grand theologian, that's okay. We may not have gone to a Bible college, and that's okay. But we can get to know God's word. We can go beyond just reading our favorite stories and our favorite verses and really get into the deep truths of God's word. But I want you to see, second of all, when God changes the plan, yes, he, we need to cling to God's word, but second of all, we need to engage in the narrative. You know, there are some groups of people in this narrative that all of us are probably familiar with, especially from watching Christmas uh, cartoons, listening to Christmas songs. And I want you to see in Luke chapter number two, a very familiar group of people. And in verse number eight, it says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I'm sure we've heard the account of Scripture. If you watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, you get to hear the whole Christmas story. And you've got these shepherds, and they're going through their normal routine. They're out in the fields, scattered along the hillsides of Bethlehem, and these shepherds, their main job was to take care of sheep that would later be taken uh, to be offered in the temple at Jerusalem. And they're there, their job day in, day out, every day, every night, is to go into the fields, watch the sheep, keep them safe, feed them, lead them to water, and it was just the same mundane thing over and over and over until this night. And God steps into their normal routine and completely changes it. I mean, imagine being at work and you're going through, you're at the office and you're doing your normal, going through papers, answering emails, and bam, an angel appears in your office. Well, that would be maybe a, a heart attack waiting to happen for some of us. But th th this interruption comes and the angels say, hey, just so you know, there's a savior that's been born and we're going to even give you a clue. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, which means he's only going to be in one of a few places. You know, we know that account, but have you ever stopped to think about what they did afterwards? It says in verse number 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. See, the very first thing they do is they go find Jesus that they may behold him on their own, personally make contact with the Savior that they knew they had been waiting for. And then they go out and they share it with the entire countryside. All of Bethlehem hears this news. Now, Bethlehem wasn't a huge place, but still, for these guys to kind of interrupt everyone's evening and tell them, hey, have you heard the Savior is born? I mean, that's a pretty bold way to share it. But they engaged in the narrative. There's another group of people. Now, we meet them in Matthew chapter number 2. And in Matthew chapter number 2, we meet another group of familiar people. In verse number 1, it says, And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, I'm sure many of us have maybe grew up with the song, uh, We Three Kings. And we learn in that song there were three kings that travel from the Orient and they bring their gifts of gold and myrrh and we know there's frankincense and You know, that song largely is accurate, except for the fact we don't know how many kings there were. But however many, this group of wise men traveled. Now, when we have a nativity set, you usually see the shepherds over here, the wise men over here, Mary Joseph and baby Jesus in the middle, a few animals scattered around. The wise men likely came within the next year or so. Uh, The oldest Jesus would have been is about two years old at this time. Mary and Joseph had settled in Bethlehem. And these wise men travel all the way from the east. This trip would not have been an easy trip. It would also not have been cheap. This was an expensive relocation. But when God changed their plans, they were even willing to relocate for the Savior. And they were willing to give of their substance to the Savior. I mean, think about how much money it may have cost as they travel hundreds and hundreds of miles, buying food, putting themselves up in lodging, feeding their camels. I mean, it would have been expensive. And yet, even then, they still give him gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts that would not have been something you buy at the discount rack at Walmart. Uh, This was the top of the line. This was the most expensive. And these wise men choose to worship the Savior, even though God has drastically changed their plans. But there's another group of people. There's another group here, and we'll get to them in a moment, but as we think about the shepherds, we think about the wise men, think about your own life. How this Christmas will you engage in the narrative? You know, this Christmas, I mean, usually we kind of get in a routine. We usually have ways that every year we use to maybe reach people with the gospel or see someone grow in their walk with the Lord. And around this time, it's pretty simple. Invite them to the Thanksgiving Sunday uh, because we usually have a feast. Invite them to the Christmas program at the church. Invite them to the candlelight service. Invite them to maybe the school Christmas program. And all of those plans have been drastically changed. I mean, we're still wanting to have a a candlelight service, and God willing, we will, but that could change. And some of our programs for our school have had to dramatically change. And the normal ways in which we would try to reach people with the gospel have been altered. So this season, how will you engage in the narrative? Because this year, we are going to need to more purposefully and more personally 
engage in what God is trying to do through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we can share a message for online with a friend. We can send it to them, invite them to watch with us. But who in your sphere of influence that normally you would maybe passively get them into church, who this year God says, hey, no, I'm going to have you more personally engage in this in reaching them with the gospel. And it may be having a meal with them, although maybe we're not gathering as much. It may be taking a gift over to them and, and just starting to form some relationships with the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. You see, when God changed the plans of the shepherds and the wise men, they didn't get frustrated, they didn't get overwhelmed, they said, all right, let's roll with it. God, how can we engage differently than we have been before? And for us, when God changes our plan, our next question ought to be, hey, God, okay, how can I engage in your narrative of the gospel? How can I get involved maybe differently than I ever had before because I have to now? Engage in the narrative. But there's a final group of people that gives us our, our third action to take when God changes our plan. And I want you to see in Matthew chapter number two, and go to verse number three. It says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. When God changes your plan, when God alters everything going on around you, we need to cling to God's word. We need to engage in the narrative. But finally, we need to address harmful skepticism. I have no doubt that this year has maybe brought up questions, doubts, fears, or even criticisms in your walk with the Lord. Perhaps tonight you're watching and maybe you're a little skeptical of all that God's Word says. Maybe you're watching and you're thinking to yourself, I have some doubts about the character of God. I have some questions about what God is doing. How could a loving God allow this to happen? It may be that you're in your mind thinking, I'm just not sure I buy into everything God, God's word is saying. And you may be someone who has grown up in a, a religion or grown up around it, and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself an unbeliever, but you're maybe not a devout Christian, or maybe you're watching and you've been, a, you've been devout in your walk with the Lord, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, and yet some doubts have been brought up. And I want to say first and foremost that God and his word have never been afraid of questions. You see, a, a truth that can't be tested can't be trusted. And I would say this, if you're experiencing a season or maybe for a long time you've had some doubts and some skepticism about God's word or Christianity or, or God himself, let me say this, this Christmas could be the time to address those skepticisms, to address those questions. 
And the two people that we're going to look at here today chose not to address that. And the first one, the most obvious one, is Herod. Now, King Herod was a, a complicated individual. You see, when it came to the economy, when it came to architectural achievements, this guy was a genius. When it came to politics, there was no man that was more cutthroat. When it came to religion, he knew how to use it to his advantage. But when it came to Jesus, he was cruel and unyielding. And when Herod, who his title was also the king of the Jews, hears of another king being born, rather than seeing a redeemer, he saw a rival. You see, rather than seeing a promised Messiah, he saw a potential threat to his throne and his position. And when Herod got the chance, instead of allowing the Messiah to challenge his belief system, to challenge his pride, to challenge his thinking, he sought to get rid of him altogether. And what we see as a result is not a man who overcomes religion or overcomes faith. We know we see a man who ends up leading a life that is miserable and harmful to others. Because Herod chooses, when the wise men don't return, they don't tell him where the Messiah is, Herod chooses to send soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every child two years old and under. And to think, this man had a chance to address the doubts and questions in his own mind. But rather than do that in his stubborn pride, he chooses to negate God, to completely reject God as he had been doing most of his life. And Herod seeks to eliminate him, and yet Herod, when he dies, he'll die within the next year or two. Herod dies miserable, hated, and completely absent of the peace that Jesus Christ brings. Because he wouldn't address the skepticism in his own mind. But there's another group of people, and it's the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders. You see, these religious leaders, they, they hear, uh, Herod calls them, he says, look, they're ta- telling me this king of the Jews, I know he's prophesied in scripture. Herod was familiar with the Old Testament. He says, tell me, where did the scripture say this guy is supposed to be born? And they're pretty quick to say, oh, well, it says here that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judah. That's just a few miles down the road. And so, I mean, think about it. If all your life you had been studying about one individual, if all your life you had been studying everything there is to know about a person, and all of a sudden this group of foreign dignitaries comes to where you are at, and says, hey, we're looking for that individual, the guy you've been studying and waiting for, you would think your interest might get piqued a little bit. And you might be like, hey, you know, I'm going to take a day off and go see this guy. But not these ones. You see, the scribes and the chief priests, they spent their entire life enveloped in the Old Testament. Every prophecy, every line of scripture, I mean, much of it memorized. And these guys, these wise men come, these magi, these royal dignitaries from the east show up with gifts in a caravan And they're looking for that guy. They're looking for that Messiah, that king. You would think these guys would be like, wait a minute. This is what we've been waiting for. Let's go see him. But instead, they remain completely inactive. How does this apply to us? Well, first of all, if you're watching tonight or you've got some doubts and some criticisms, don't let them overcome you and lead you to, to miss out on what God has for you. Bring those questions. It may be getting into God's word on your own and actually seeing what it says about those doubts and questions. 
It may be contacting us here at the church and setting an appointment to go grab some coffee or over the phone or through email or through Zoom, however you want to do it, and just start hashing out those questions. And I promise you, if you would come with an open mind and, and, a, and questions that may be hard but sincere, that the truth will begin to make sense to you over time. And I invite you, don't put those off. Hey, bring them. Because God's word is not afraid of criticisms. God's word is not afraid of questions. It has the answers. It's just about finding them. But you know, I look at these religious leaders, and I think for those maybe who have always been in the church, or you are saved, you are religious, I think these people were completely inactive. You see, they were good having all of that knowledge and doing nothing with it. And I think many times we can fall into that trap of coming to church, which is important, which is commanded, which we should be doing, or at least joining online. But we come to that point where we're good getting the knowledge, just we don't do anything with it. And we fail to do what the shepherds and wise men didn't engage in the narrative of Jesus Christ. So the decision is up to you. When God changes your plans, what will you do? When God changes the norm, will you cling to God's word and develop a deeper relationship with him? When God changes your plan, will you choose to engage in the narrative in maybe a different way than you're used to? And when God changes the plan around you, will you address those harmful skepticisms and bring them before the Lord and allow him to show you his truth? And what do we do when God changes the plan? Well, it's up to us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your word. God, I'm thankful for the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us as we prepare for this Christmas season. As no doubt more of our plans are probably going to change, help us, Lord, to cling to your word and get deeper into your word. Help us, God, to engage in your narrative of the gospel. God, I pray for any that are watching that are experiencing some questions or some doubts or some fears or some criticisms. God, I pray this Christmas season they would begin to address those. And may your truth shine to them like a blazing light in the darkness. And Lord, I pray if there's one here who's never trusted you as Savior, Lord, you came, Christmas is about you coming and dying on the cross and rising again to pay for our sins, I pray if there's one that is watching tonight that has never trusted you as Savior, I pray today they would choose to put their faith and trust in you. They would call out to you for your forgiveness and for your salvation. And may this be the beginning of their relationship with you. Lord, bless this night. Bless our week. Help us, Lord, to let you continue to change the plan and follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm thankful for God's word. If you have any questions, anything you need at all, please feel free to contact the church. You can call the office. You can email. You can jump on Facebook. Let us know. We would love to be a help to you in any way possible. And if you're watching tonight and you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven, Jesus came and died and rose again for you. 
But if you have questions about salvation and what it means to go to heaven, I invite you to contact us. We would love to answer any questions you might have. We hope you have a wonderful night, and God bless you.